morning. If we haven't met yet, I'm Mike Satterfield, the pastor of Emmaus Road Church. Welcome this morning. And I'm holding the handheld mic because I'm not preaching this morning. Um, and we never broadcast that in advance because, you know, I don't know. Some of you are like, well, Sadie's preaching, I'm not coming to church. And the other half of you are like, if Sadie's preaching, I'm coming to church. And I just don't know which half is which. And so we just keep you guessing. But I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. His name is Aaron Osterwick. And Aaron and I have become friends. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know him uh, these past couple of months. Uh, Nate Hedinger, who's our district executive, said, hey, there's this guy you need to, you need to get to know. And he's local to you. And so Aaron and I have had coffee several times. We've spent some time together just talking about what the Lord's doing in our lives and, and what Aaron feels like. Uh, just in a season of what is God calling me to? He's been a pastor, an associate pastor, and he's just asking the Lord, um, Lord, what do you want to do with me in this next season? Where do you want me? Where, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And uh, so I just, you know, it's like potential church planters, I always want to give those guys a platform. Um, and so Aaron's going to go through the assessment process. He may not be called to plant. He may be called to plant. We're just praying and asking the Lord, would, would, you, would you put our brother back in the game exactly where you want him to be, where he's going to be most effective for the kingdom of God? And so would you guys uh, welcome Aaron to the stage this morning? And I just want to pray. Uh, I want us to pray for him, um, not just... Obviously, he's going to deliver the word today, but we just stop and pray for you that God would be really clear and uh, not delay. His timing is perfect, but, you know, you get in those seasons where it's like, oh, Lord, like, how, how much longer is this going to be, That's right? So, uh, so let's just stop and pray for Aaron right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, um, for our brother and the ministry that you've called him to, the, the burden you put in his heart and in his soul to, to, uh, to lead your people, to, to disseminate your word to your people, to love them and disciple them. And Lord, we ask that you would be clear with him, even in the days ahead, just even in the weeks ahead, uh, there would be no delaying, Lord, in your uh, opening the door for the next assignment that you have for Aaron. And we trust you for that. Lord, your timing is perfect, and we wait upon you. And in the meantime, Lord, use him this morning to, to speak to our hearts through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mike. What a great spot you guys have. So I think the last time I was here, I think I saw Spider-Man, maybe. And um, it was the most recent Spider-Man, and I don't remember much about the movie, but there were these young ladies behind me that were just so taken aback that all of a sudden all three Spider-Men are now on the same screen, and they were crying the entire time. <laughs> so um, what, a, what a great spot. What a great spot. So has anybody actually ever um, stayed for a movie after church? Have you ever done that? No, yeah. You guys have been here for years, so you probably have gotten all these movie jokes out of your systems, right? But I guess I'm new, so they're all new jokes to me. So, so this morning, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about being great. And... This week I was kind of curious, and so I, I found myself on the internet, and I, and I wanted to find out what sort of advice the internet had for me. So I wanted to find out what sort of contemporary advice is out there as how to find success in this life, how to be great. We all want to be great. So I googled the question, how to become great. And while much that I found dealt with how to be great at something or playing an instrument or how to be great at math, which I could certainly use some, some advice on that, how to be a great salesman, there's all sorts of advice out there about how to be great at certain things. But what I was really looking for is how does culture define greatness? As an individual, how do I be a great person? And in Forbes magazine... In an article involving the five secrets to greatness, one of the secrets to greatness was strengthen yourself, work on yourself, build all of your own experiences. I found another article that said this, and this was called The Six Steps to Success in Life. The, the way to be successful is be the master of your own destiny 
In other words, make your own way. Chart your own course is what this six-step process said. One more article I found said this. It says, determine what success and greatness means to you. And in other words, greatness according to contemporary culture and according to some of our articles or doing whatever you think you need to do, doing whatever you can for yourself, be whatever you think great is, and all of a sudden, there you are. You're great. And we live in this world in which there's very little absolute truth, right? We see that increasing each and every day. There's very little absolute truth. There's no real right, no wrong, no black, no white. And so this last article affirmed to us that there is no objective greatness. Do whatever you think you should be or can be, and all of a sudden, there you are. You're great. You know, what these articles were saying and what the internet kind of reminded me is that there's no shortage of advice that defines greatness as, as really self-absorption, self-actualization, where this, this idea of greatness kind of begins and ends with, with you, where you become the best version of yourself. And, and maybe once you've been the, once you're now the best version of yourself, that now if you have some extra time and energy, and maybe you're going to work on giving that away to somebody else. And I, and I think if we were totally honest, I think the church in many ways is not immune to this sort of thinking that being great is about self-absorption or self-actualization. One of the most popular pastors in America wrote a book nearly 15 years ago called Living Your Best Life Now. That's even a phrase that you'll hear people kind of you know, talk about. It's kind of a contemporary phrase. It's kind of back in, it's kind of popular again. You know, how, how to live your best life now and today. And in the book, the, the author, he was kind of gratifying, you know, all these, these personal goals. And as you make it all about you, all of a sudden, you're now able to live kind of your, your best life. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage where, where Jesus tells his followers, he says, how to be great looks totally different than what the world would call the path to greatness. And before we read our passage, I want to pray for us this morning one more time. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for uh, assembling us together, God. And I ask that, uh, as Pastor Mike has already prayed, Lord, that we would be doers and not hearers of your word, Lord. We ask that we be transformed people. Would your Holy Spirit transform us? Would your word settle in our hearts and our minds, God? And would we walk out as changed individuals, God? Open our ears and eyes for what you have. God, we ask that you would move in a mighty way this morning and that, again, the, the words that I would use would not be my words, but your words, God. We look to you. We look to your truth, God. Help us to apply what we, what we hear and what we know. God, thank you for this time. We give you this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you brought your Bibles with you or your electronic Bibles, go ahead and uh, let's take a look at Matthew 20, 20 through 28. That'll be our passage this morning, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. I'm going to read that for us. I think it's up on the screen behind me here. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it that you want? Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and in your other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? And we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about the mother of, of, of James and John. We're, we're not sure exactly 
what her status was. She may have uh, known Jesus personally. She may have uh, followed. She may have um, gotten to know him on a, on a, on a level where she was uh, connected, but maybe not, maybe not a true disciple of his. We're not sure. But we know that she was probably around as Jesus spoke about setting up God's kingdom. As Jesus spoke about this kingdom, I imagine that the mother and James and John was probably around or heard, certainly heard of that. And, and, and the text says what? That, that she asked Jesus a favor. And she comes to Jesus and says, may my two sons, James and John, may they be given a higher status than the rest of your disciples. She, she came to ask James and John, can, can my sons be someone important? Can they be someone great? You know, this is a reasonable request for a mom, you imagine, right? I, I have five kids, and so I, I want what's best for my kids. And so here comes James and John and mom. And I, and I wonder if in the back of her mind she was saying, you know, I, I just really want what's best for my children, my kids. That, that could have been her motivation. But her mo motivation may have also been her desire for, for power and status for her sons. Maybe the motivation was, maybe if, if my family could have more power and status, you know, something awesome might really happen. Maybe there's a promotion for us along the way. Very well could have been James and John's mom's motivation. And, and let's be honest, if you, you want to get something done, you bring mom, right? Yeah. Actually, my mom's here. So you bring the heat, you bring mom. Surely Jesus couldn't say no to mom. And if they really wanted to bring the heat, they should have brought grandma, right? Nobody can say no to grandma. You know, I have to wonder that, that bringing mom was this, I wonder if there's this idea that, you know, surely Jesus could, could tell James and John no, but they brought their mother, which is an interesting dynamic. Surely they wouldn't turn mom down. In Mark's gospel, Mark has also written about this account as well, and Mark, Mark says this, he says that, that James and John asked the question, may I be promoted to your right and to your left. But Matthew here says that it was mom, James, and John. But, but, but either way, you have these three coming to Jesus and saying, can we be great? Can we be promoted to your right and to your left? And, and what's Jesus do in this story? He says, you've got it all wrong. Being great in my kingdom means following the Father's will, even to the point of death, is what Jesus says. The path to greatness, you've got it all wrong. You know, plus in God's kingdom, wasn't for Jesus to decide. He says right here, he says, but it's for the Father to, in heaven to decide who sits in my right and my left. And Jesus is reminding them that, that sitting on the either side of him, sitting in a place of prominence in my kingdom is not achieved through the sorts of means you might think. Power in God's kingdom is not is not worldly power, worldly status. You become the least. You become a servant. You become a slave of what Jesus says. That is how you become great in my kingdom, is what Jesus tells James and John and mom. And verse 24 reminds us that, that upon the disciples, when they heard this, they had this indignation, is what Scripture says. And in other words, they were angry. They, they heard this question, and, and they loved Jesus, why would James and John bring their mom? And why would it be James and John that get to sit on the right and the left? Why do they get to be great in your kingdom, Jesus? And I wonder if the disciples were jealous in this passage. If James and John, if, they, if the disciples looked at James and John and said, why not me? Why would it be one of them? Why couldn't it be me? You know, they had been with Jesus the entire time. They followed him. They left their day jobs, they left their former lives in, in, in order to follow Jesus. So this indignation, as Scripture says, or this anger, I wonder if it was jealousy. I wonder if it was something like, I, I deserve that. I've been following you, Jesus. I deserve more than this. And Jesus gathers his disciples and says, you know what, we're going to use this for a teaching moment, an opportunity to correct some bad theology. So Jesus gathers his disciples together. 
Jesus tells his disciples this, there's only really one way to achieve greatness, and it's per- to pursue a kingdom of an entirely different sort, is what Jesus says. And Jesus is the only way to greatness. We know that. But Jesus is the only way to greatness. Jesus points to the Roman Empire in verse 25. You read verse 25 one more time. He says, let me, let me tell you how not to achieve greatness. That the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So Jesus is telling the, the disciples here, he says, you've seen the rulers of the Gentiles. You've seen the Romans. You've lived under their authority for your entire lives. You're aware of what they do. You're, you know how they exercise their power. And Jesus says, don't do what they do. Don't let them be your model. Don't let the Romans, don't let the world, don't let the Gentiles, don't let them be your model. They've got it all wrong is what Jesus says. You know, you've, you've seen the damage that the Romans have done. The, the Roman government, they were, they were solely interested in ruling by, by force and through power and furthering their own interests by really any means necessary. Does that sound familiar at all? The Roman government, much like today, the Roman government, they ruled again by domination and intimidation. And anybody that got in their way often found themselves on the wrong side. It was by force and by coercion. The governing authorities, they didn't rule with a desire to serve the people. They were elected. They were, they were there to actually serve the people, but they served themselves, right? They served themselves, and it was power by any means necessary. And it's because the disciples, who were, they were accustomed to living under Roman authority. I, I have to wonder if they saw this as a model for earthly success. I wonder if they stood there and said, well, it, it got the Romans to a pretty amazing spot and place. But yet Jesus says, you have it all wrong. You know, I, I wonder if, if I asked you to think of some of the, the great people in contemporary culture and in contemporary world, who might be some of the immediate people that would come to mind? And um, I sat down and kind of asked myself that question yesterday and and, you know, Elon Musk has been all over the news, and a lot of people think that he's great. And you've got a guy like Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, incredible, incredible athlete. But he's got the acronym you guys know of. He was the GOAT, the greatest of all time, right? It's interesting how, in many ways, we think about greatness that even you know, these people that we kind of watch and think of are, you know, really... By all accounts, there's very little greatness as it relates to God's kingdom. And this world has created and culture has created this this idea and opinion of what what greatness really is. And it's with these celebrities and stars and people that have, you know, riches and glory and influence on social media and things like that. But the reality is that that we need to be redefining greatness by Jesus' standards, not the world's standards. You know, what Jesus does in this passage is he just creates an entirely different model, one that's entirely different than the Roman world, a model that's entirely different than the model of greatness that we see in our contemporary culture. You know, Jesus points to this different structure, a different model. He says greatness is not found in manipulation or human power or flexing your muscle, running over everyone who gets in your way like the Romans do. Jesus is telling his followers that the first shall be the last, the last shall be the first, and whoever wants to gain their life must first lose it. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you'd be willing to drink of my cup and see it to the end. You know, Jesus is telling us and he's telling his disciples that it's a, his model is achieving Greatness is all about absolute submission to God's will. That's how we become great in this life. You know, giving away all the so-called power that you think you might have and, and serving God's people. 
You know, Jesus reminds us that it's about serving first and leading second, not the other way around. Roman government, the government that we see today, much in our world, is about leading and very little service. You know, Jesus didn't say this, but what Jesus is really talking about in this passage is, is what's called servant leadership. You guys may even know that term, heard it along the way. It's not a, servant leadership is not a term we're going to find in the Bible. It was a term that was created and coined by a, a man named Robert Greenleaf back in the 1970s. He was a Christian businessman who was um, a, a part of AT&T back in the early 70s, and he, and he created this this business philosophy or this, this philosophy, these principles of, of serving. You know, the concept of servanthood isn't anything new, right? It's not anything new. If we go back thousands of years ago, all the way back to the Old Testament, kings and prophets were called and described as servants of the Lord. Second Samuel 3.18, For the Lord promised David by my servant, David, I will rescue my people from Israel, from the hand of the Philistines, and from the hand of all their enemies. You know, this passage reminds us that, that King David was the Lord's servant. But what David did in serving the Lord is that he turned and he served the people. He served them that they might be free to worship the Lord. David wasn't there to, for his own means or for power or status. He was there to serve people and point them to the one true God. You know, David served in order that God's people might become who it is they've been called to be and intended to be. And if we're going to call ourselves Christ-like servant leaders, we would desire to serve others so that those that we're serving look more like Jesus and less like themselves. That's what it's all about. That's what Jesus is saying. You must be servant and slave. This model of Roman government, the model that you see, is entirely upside down. Success is found in an entirely different set of criteria. So if we're going to be servant leaders, we have to primarily focus on the needs and growth of others, not our own needs. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I getting up in the morning? Do I make it my mission and my goal to help others become who it is they've been called to be? Are they looking more like Jesus and less like themselves each and every day? Now, I think that there can be this misconception that, that leadership is reserved for just a select group of people or just a, the elect few. And you might even disqualify yourself when you hear that word leader. And if I asked you to raise your hand, if you thought yourself, if you were a leader, and I, I might get very few hands. The reality is that we want to walk away from some of the things that I think God is calling us to. And I would say each and every one of us has the capacity to lead. If leadership is really influence, is what it is. Leadership is influence. Each of you, each of us, we have influence in this life and in this world. You know, leadership is not designed for solely your, your pastors or elders or music leaders. Everybody here can lead simply because each of us can serve, right? Each of you can serve, therefore, each of you has the ability to lead and to influence and empower. You know, if you're a husband, you're a leader. If you're a wife, you're a leader. If you have kids, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, if you're an uncle, brother, sister, if you have the ability to get up in the morning, I would say you have the ability to lead. Even if you can't get up in the morning, you still have the ability to lead. Because you have the ability to serve. You know, each of us in this room here today, we have the ability to exercise influence in our families, in our friends, in our, in our workplaces, in our community. 
And what Jesus is talking about are passages that Christ-like service, building trust. You know, and so in, in listening to Jesus talk about how to be great, again, he's really saying this. He says, if you're my disciples, servanthood is not optional. Serving others is not elective. You know, this idea that serving is a great theory seems to be alive and well, I think, within the average church. You guys may be very different, but in many of the churches I've been to, there's this idea that serving is just kind of, yeah, if I have any energy time or anything left at the end of my day or week, or you know, maybe I'll serve a little bit. Sounds really good in theory. It's really good. I like it. Well, we don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like about following Jesus, do we? We don't, we don't get to pick and choose. Yeah, I like a little bit about the Bible here. I like, don't like this. and I'm, yeah, I'm just going to tear out those sections I don't like. We don't get to do that. You know, following Jesus is not some sort of college elective class or, you know, Christian buffet line where we can kind of pick out what we like and what we don't like. Serving is not one of the a la carte items of the Christian faith, is what I say. It doesn't stand alone. This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, service is not something you get to choose in or out of or opt in and out of because you don't like it. That's not it. What's, what's Jesus say in verse 26 and 27? He says, not so with you, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So not so with you. Instead, is what Jesus says. He creates this instead. You've seen how the world does it. You've seen what the Roman government do. I'm calling you to an entirely different, different set of criteria, a different culture, a different ethic. Jesus says, I'm holding you to an entirely different standard that you know better. Not so, with you. Not so with you is what Jesus says. You know, the disciples, they already committed themselves to, some of them put their nets down and, and literally quit their day jobs to follow Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector, immediately stood up from his tax collection booth and followed Jesus. And so Jesus says, not so with you. I'm calling you to something entirely different. You've already committed to following me. You've already heard the message, repent and believe, and they've done just that. Jesus is telling, again, Simon and Andrew, James and John, it's too late. They already left their former life. They began to follow Jesus literally. And Jesus is telling them that You've entered into this commitment, this relationship, this covenant. Well, you're no longer work to serve your own purposes, is what Jesus is telling the disciples here. Not so with you. Instead, you're going to follow me. Put down your nets, and I will make you fishers of men, in what Jesus says. So as the disciples stood there, again, I imagine that they recognized that it was, it was too late. They've already committed themselves to a new standard, again, a new way of doing life that looked totally different than what they saw from the world around. You know, it's no secret that we have a leadership crisis in our, in our country. We have a leadership crisis in our country. And it sneaks into our homes and our churches and our businesses. And, and the crisis appears to getting worse appears to be getting worse and worse the further we get away from the leadership principles of Jesus. You know, the further our country walks away from the truth of God's word, the greater our consequences will be. And that the leadership principles and the principles and philosophies that seem to be alive and well today seem to be about gratifying the self. It's all about me. Living your best life now. And if that is our lens, if that's what we're going to do, we are going to get into some serious trouble. When we believe that our spouse 
exists to serve our needs, we get in trouble. When my workplace exists to serve my needs, I'm in big trouble. We believe that the church is here to meet all of my needs. We get in trouble. If we walk through these doors on Sunday morning and we believe that I'm just here to glean, I'm just here to gather, just here to see what I can get, we got it all wrong. The further we get away from Jesus' words where he says, I have not come to be served but to serve, the further we get away from Jesus' leadership, the more trouble that we get in the more consequences we're going to find to our decisions. And that's what Jesus is saying in our passage. He was, he was telling the disciples, he said, do not define greatness any other way than how I define greatness, is what Jesus says. Don't fall into the world's standards. Don't fall into their trap. Don't look to the Romans for greatness. They've got it all wrong. It's interesting that Jesus uses the terms Servant and slave in, in verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, followers must become servant and slave. Those are the, the two lowest positions that were found in all of Jewish culture. Servant and slave. And I think Jesus uses these terms for, for a good reason. A, a servant was someone who was actually a hired worker. They're actually someone that they chose into that relationship. They chose to do that work, kind of like Downton Abbey, where they chose into. They had they had option. They had a free will. You know, maybe they served food or waited on guests. Um, a servant often washed the feet of, of the masters and and the guests of the home. A servant came and did that. Again, there was, as a servant, there was a certain level of, of desire. They had free will, and if they want to go do something else or, or find themselves employed somewhere else, they could do that. They could go do that. You know, you think about a servant, and we think about customer service or a concierge or somebody at a hotel or somebody that uh, to, might wait on tables in a restaurant. They had the freedom to, to choose something else if they wanted to. But Jesus says, you are to be servant. Slave, on the other hand, is different. Jesus all uses the, uses the, the term slave as well. And the slaves were entirely indebted to their master. The master essentially owned the slave. You were his property. You did nothing outside of your master's will. You didn't have any free will. You couldn't pursue other opportunities. You had really no choice. You got up in the morning and you did the master's will. So Jesus says, you're both servant and slave. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, he's saying in order to be great, there's no task that's too big, too small, too menial. There's nothing below you is what Jesus tells his disciples as they're listening. And this this idea of servant, that, that there is free will attached to it. And the implication is the same for us. We should desire to serve. We have free will. We can choose not to serve. But a servant is the idea that there's a desire. You have free will. You should want to serve. At the same time, as, as a slave, Jesus wants to remind us that if you know Jesus, you have no choice. You have no choice. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he called himself a slave of Christ. Once he met Jesus, he says, I am a slave to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what Paul says. He says, I have no choice. I've met Jesus personally, and I'm going to give my life to communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what Paul says. It's the same thing for us. It is no different. We are a slave to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we have no choice if you know him, if you follow him, if he is your Lord and Savior. You've committed following him. And you have no choice in that. You know, God called God called his disciples to an entirely new way of life. 
And if we're going to be great in God's kingdom, again, we have no choice. We cannot opt out of serving. It's a part of the job description. It's a part of the DNA of following Jesus Christ is that we will serve God's kingdom first and foremost, but we will serve each other. You cannot separate yourself from the job, servant and slave. If you know Jesus Christ, it is intended to be who you are. And what the disciples couldn't say about Jesus is that uh, Jesus is probably just talking about some, some theoretical information here. It sure would be great if Jesus painted really, really great theory. Yeah, surely Jesus doesn't mean it. He doesn't really want us to be servant and slave, right? He's not really talking about us losing our lives, is he? No. And the disciples saw this very thing from Jesus Christ. That was his entire mission, was it not? Jesus says, I have come to do the will of the Father. He came to set the captives free, to preach the good news. He came to die for your sins that you don't have to. Jesus came and give, gave his life so that we may have life and life to the full. Life here on earth, but life in the eternal. So Jesus wasn't just painting some theory to the disciples. He was saying, I've lived this out. And in a short time, we'll go to the cross and give his life as a servant, as a slave. So if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we, may we take our cues from him. Jesus practiced exactly what he preached, did he not? During his entire ministry. And so he's telling the disciples that I'm going to call you to something that's no different than what I've been called to. Again, Jesus healed the sick. He drove out demons. He fed the hungry. He took on the role of a servant as he washed the feet of disciples in John chapter 13. The king of the universe, the maker of the heavens and the earth, takes on the role of the lowest of the low, washes the disciples' feet. A role that was reserved for the lowest of the low. And Jesus steps into that. He says, let me show you how it's done. This is what you're to do. You know, for the entire 30 years, that, that 30 plus years that Jesus was on earth, he knew that God had directed his steps all the way to the cross. Jesus says, he's giving his life as a ransom and a ransom for many. Jesus did nothing outside of the will of the Father. In John 5, verse 30, Jesus says, he says this, he says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, as I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All the way to the cross, Jesus said, it's the Father's will. The night before he was crucified, what did he say? Not my will be done, Father, but may your will be done. So in verse 28 of our passage, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I always thought about this verse as Jesus' mission statement. I'll read that again. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus is, is really giving his disciples a mission statement is what, he, is what he's saying. And Jesus loved his disciples. He loved you. He loves me so much that he served us all the way to the cross in paying the punishment that we deserve. You know, Jesus did nothing outside of God's direction. He was servant and he was slave. He was servant in, the, in that he desired to do the will of the Father. But he was slave in that he recognized he had no other choice but to do the Father's will. In verse 22 of our passage, Jesus says to James and John, are you guys willing to lose your life for the sake of my kingdom, for the sake of Jesus? That's what he asked James and John. 
Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Will you follow me to the point that it could cost you your very life? Are you willing? And James and John said, yes, they are willing. And I think Jesus was, was laying it all in the line and saying, serving sounds really good in theory until it costs something, right? And I would say that's very much some, the, the place that we find ourselves. Serving sounds really good in theory. Great textbook. It's great until it costs us something. So the disciples, as they listened, were they, willing, were they willing to serve Jesus, follow him, proclaim him, all the way to the end? Again, even if it costs them their lives, are they willing to undertake that? And I think the implication is the same for us, is it not? Are we willing to serve Jesus to the point that it costs us everything? Are we willing to do that? You know, there have been plenty of moments over the years where I've lost sight of, of my purpose, where I've been laying in bed in the morning, or maybe I got up in the morning and I just lost sight of my purpose. I don't think I'm alone in that. And it's in that response that I'm reminded that I've made it all about me all of a sudden. If I wake up and open my, my, open my eyes and go, what am I doing here? What is this weird thing called life? Typically, well, it could be sleep deprivation or lack of coffee, but typically, it's me thinking about me. I'm, I'm self-absorbed. I'm, I'm just thinking about, I've kind of lost focus. What am I doing here again? And I've lost focus in that my life, I'm intended to serve God, one, but I'm intended to serve you, the people in my life. I don't think I'm alone in that response. And so I, I, believe I'm, I believe it's accurate in that when we wake up and we kind of lose sight of our purpose, sometimes we've lost sight of or intended to serve God's people. You know, I can tell you what I, what I think our purpose isn't. And our purpose isn't to serve ourselves, right? That's not our purpose. You know, we're not intended to gather on Sunday morning or any other time for that matter to simply listen or be entertained or man, feel really good about ourselves. While we're here to listen to the Lord and here to connect with each other and hopefully we walk out changed individuals and changed peoples. But the goal of the gathering of God's people and the collection of God's people is not passivity. It's not just to sit. It's to do. Our purpose is, is to serve, to serve one another, to serve a broken, decaying, dying outside world so they can see Jesus. Philippians 2.4 says, Do not look only to your interests, but to the interests of others. What a great reminder from Paul to keep the needs of others in clear focus. So again, as you open your eyes, as you wake up in the morning and go, oh, what is my purpose again? Our purpose is to glorify God and to serve one another. That's our purpose. But I think the challenge is sometimes the cost of serving feels too big. I think as, if most of us were honest, we might say the same thing. I want to do something big. I want to do something great and important. There's something there. I want to do something impactful. But I think what stops us is, is the human condition. Sin gets in the way. Self-absorption gets in the way. Making it all about me gets in the way. You know, the human condition is that we desire, again, this, this greatness but we stop short of having it cost something. We don't want it to cost anything. I think sometimes we take this step towards 
kingdom greatness, but it begins to cost something. It begins to cost too much, and we step out of it. We might quit. We might say, ah, it's just too much work. I think the human condition is that when life gets uncomfortable and things get uncomfortable, we assume it's wrong, right? Ooh, this doesn't feel comfortable. And we assume it's outside of God's will sometimes. And we try to rearrange our circumstances back into this place of of, of comfort and ease. Again, when life gets uncomfortable, unpredictable, we want to rearrange things back into comfort as quickly as possible. And serving is not intended to be easy. Is it? Following Jesus, being servant and slave is never going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be painless. It's supposed to cost us something, our time, our energy, our resources. And for the disciples, it cost them their lives. They died a martyr's death because they followed Jesus to the very end. So I think a lot of us live in this constant tension of wanting to do great things for God's kingdom, but not wanting to cost anything. Sometimes we don't want to pay the price. I think a lot of us are willing to serve right up to the point that it actually hurts. I guess my challenge for, for you, a challenge for me and us is when the opportunity presents itself, simply say, Yes. Step into those opportunities that God has called you to. Could be something as organic as helping your neighbor with yard work. It could be having coffee with somebody. It could be listening to someone as they bear their their hurts. Serving doesn't have to be huge and big and flashy and exciting. Serving is about being faithful to what God has called you to in the moment. And I believe we're really looking and listening and keeping our eyes on others and not on ourselves that God will provide those opportunities to serve. They're everywhere. They're every day, all day long. Too often we have our faces in our phones or thinking about me. It's amazing what God will do when we lift our eyes up and look around. You know, our purpose as followers of Jesus isn't, isn't some big giant mystery. You know, as, as soon as we crack the big case, as soon as God reveals his big mystery, then we're going to do something amazing, right? It's already been revealed to us. We already know what the answer is. It's in our passage right here. You know, some of Jesus' final words to his disciples, he said this, he says, go, baptize, teach, Make disciples to love God, to love your neighbor. It's no mystery. There it is right there. That's God's will for your life. And each of those opportunities, the going, the baptizing, teaching, making disciples, those are opportunities to serve. Number one, we serve God's kingdom. We serve him. But we're serving one another. We serve each other. That's our purpose. That's why we get up in the morning. Is to love each other, love our neighbor. So in closing, as we close, you know, in, in talking to his disciples, Jesus says, do not define greatness as the world defines greatness. Now, the world defines greatness as serving the self, getting all you can, maybe leaving a few scraps for others along the way, becoming the best you can be. You know, I wonder if the disciples were kind of taken aback when they heard this from, from Jesus. And Jesus says greatness is totally different than the paradigm they had grown up under. And what a privilege it is to serve, is it not? It's an absolute privilege that the king of the universe would graciously use you and I for his kingdom purposes. It's not a chore. It's not intended to be a chore. It's not intended to be complex and a burden. It's intended to be life-giving, that we find our purpose 
in serving others, telling others about Jesus. It's not intended to weigh us down or tend to be something that, that exists in the doldrums. It's intended to be something that, that is supposed to be, again, life-giving and exciting. It would tell others about the most important message in all of human history, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in his grace and his mercy, he uses people like me and people like you. He uses for his glory. And we're participants, really, in the story that God is writing. Isn't that kind of exciting when you think about it that way? God is writing a story, and he somehow uses people like us to help write his story here on earth. Totally amazing. So when we change our mindset from, from one that, oh, do I have to serve? When we go from have to to want to, it changes our perception, doesn't it? It changes our response. So when serving others, you know, giving our time, our energy, and our resources to Jesus, it's a privilege, not a chore. We have to be willing to think about it in, in a way that, that, again, our purpose is found in getting up in the morning and serving others. Not as a duty, not as a chore, not as a have to, but I get to. What a privilege that is. That Jesus has tapped us on the shoulder and said, you know what? I'm going to use you to spread my love. I'm going to use you to communicate the most important message in all of human history. You know, the prophet Micah, he said, God has already told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Micah 6, 8, to do justice, to love, to practice kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The writer of Hebrews, he says, do not neglect doing good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, the reality is, is that serving others, it may not lead to riches and fame and, and fortune here on this earth. But serving others, serving Jesus Christ, being servant and slave, will lead to riches beyond compare. One day as we stand before Jesus, may we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen to serve. Maybe it's as simple as holding the door for them. Maybe you're having coffee with somebody this week. Maybe you're listening. Maybe God will give you an opportunity to share Jesus Christ this week. Pray for ordained opportunities where God would again intersect your life with people that you can serve impact for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>